This is Mount Pleasant United Methodist Church. Welcome to our sermon podcast. Good morning. You know, Easter is such a pivotal time in our lives. It, it really defines who we are as Christians. It, it defines our faith, it defines our future, and it makes sense of the past. This morning I wanted to spend a little extra time on that Easter story, that, that moment when Mary goes to the tomb, um, the experiences of Peter and John as they go and what they see, and how this really impacts our experience of the risen Christ and, and what we can know about it and how it, it fundamentally changes our lives. I'm always, I'm always interested in why it is that Easter is such a, a huge time of, of celebration in the life of the church, but then it just seems almost to kind of fade away. Um, as the years go on and as time passes, um, the memories of that, that special Easter experience just seem to fade from, from our lives. So this morning I wanted to take a little extra time and look again at that story and see how it can truly impact your life, not just for now, not for just what we're going through, but hopefully for all time. And I want to begin by um, asking you to imagine that you've received a letter from a, a legal firm on, on very formal letterhead, a very uh, reputable law firm. Maybe it even comes as a registered letter. And, and as you open it, you find that um, the, the law firm is letting you know that you've come into an inheritance, a large inheritance from a family member that maybe you didn't even know about. Now, how would you respond to something like that? We, we live in an age of, of many scams, as many times. There have been several times that I've received things in the mail telling me that I've won the Nigerian lottery, only to kind of realize I never even entered the Nigerian lottery. Um, scams are very common now because of email, because of text. Um, we get them all the time. But when you get something like this in the mail, um, something so life-changing, um, you really want to check it out. Um, and part of the reason is, is because it, the impact of, of this letter, the impact of what it's trying to tell you, um, is life-changing. Well, that's kind of the way it is with, with the resurrection. Um, there are many people that are skeptical. There, there are many people that um, are critical of how the story is told. And, but deep down inside, you really want to check it out, right? I mean, the impact of this story is too great to just let it pass by. I mean, the, the promise of the resurrection is not just for that maybe someday you'll, you'll get into heaven someday, but it's the promise of, of a new body in a new life, to be able to walk with your loved ones, to be able to walk with God in a new kingdom. It redefines what your existence is today. The struggles that you're going through today are redefined when looked through the lens of the resurrection. And so you want to look at it through a different lens. Look at it um, critically, um, but also rationally, and also to understand the story that it's trying to tell you. So this morning I wanted to take a, a second look at that gospel story as told in, in John's gospel, John chapter 20. And as I read the story today, I want you to look at it critically and look at what John is telling you and why he's telling it in this way. There are certain things that he wants you to know that the other gospel writers don't include um, because he's trying to get you to understand something very powerful that will change your life. Beginning in 
verse 1. Now, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over, looked in at the strips of linen that were there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloths were lying in its place, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first went inside. He saw and he believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to where they were staying. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw the two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. Woman, they asked, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you are looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned towards him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I, will, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord. And she told them these things that he had said to her. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So we have this story as told by Mary Magdalene. Mary goes to the tomb, finds it certainly with, with other women, and does not find it the way she had imagined it. And she runs back and she tells Peter and the other disciple, the one that we assume is John. And they both run and, and they look in. And when they look in, they see strips of linen. Now, the interesting part is that this is the only gospel that tells us something about the linen. And you might be asking, like, what difference does it make that the linen was lying there? Well, if we go back, actually, to the story of, in John chapter 11, the raising of Lazarus, it says that in John chapter 11, Lazarus came out, his hands and feet were wrapped in linen, and cloth were around his face, and Jesus said, take off the grave clothes and let him go. So when Lazarus is raised from the dead, he is still bound by his grave clothes. But when John and Peter reach the tomb, they look and there is the linen. Now it tells us that when they looked in, it doesn't mean that they just saw it, they just visually observed it. It actually comes from the Greek word theoreo, which means to think out, to, to look with the intent of finding an explanation. So imagine... Peter and John coming to the tomb. And of course, the first thing that they realize is here's the grave clothes. Now, Peter and John are looking for a body. They're looking for the explanation 
of who possibly could have taken the body out of the tomb. They know that Jesus was dead. They, they can understand that. But when they get to the tomb, there is no body. But the grave clothes have remained. Well, if there were grave robbers, why would the grave robbers leave the cloth? Why would they take a naked body out of the tomb? Why would they leave all of the valuable cloth that they could resell or the spices that were used? Why did they take the body and not the cloth? Or if it was one of the disciples, why would the disciples take a body and dishonor it by taking it out without its covering or without its cloth? And so they're rationalizing. They're thinking this through. They're trying to come up with reasons for why this body is not there, but the cloth is there. John seems to come to some understanding for he believes in a resurrection that the body is gone. Now for all of us, we have to come to a rational understanding. And I think this is so important because in our own generation, many people believe that Christianity is about irrational faith. You, you just have to take a leap of faith. And yet there's a deep rationality to our faith. Certainly, Christianity is about more than just rational thought and rational thinking, but it is never less than that. If you, if you don't think through your faith at a deep level, it will not survive for very long. And so we begin by understanding some of the, the premise of this story that, that John is laying out that helps guide us to, the, to a deeper faith, to a deeper understanding that these events really did take place. Now, you may be asking that, well, Peter and John had stuff to look at. They had evidence that they could consider. But I think we have evidence as well that demands a verdict, evidence that we need to consider when we understand the, the realization that Jesus did really come back from the grave. Now, the first one is, is that all four, of the synop all four of the Gospels, including the Synoptics, are told by Jesus' appearance first comes to the women, and, and particularly Mary Magdalene. Now, you know that in those days, women did not have a very high standing. Um, women could not uh, testify in court. And so if you're going to try and convince people that, of this story that you're making up, you would never, ever begin by having the first testimony come from women. As a matter of fact, there, there's somebody, there was a philosopher by the name of Celsus in the second century who who was certainly against Christianity and thought it was just ludicrous that we would take the opinions of women as the first testimony. As a matter of fact, ladies, can you imagine in our own day and time, Celsus writes, he said, why would rational men ever depend on the testimony of a hysterical woman? See, Celsus believed, and rightly so, that it does, does not make sense in that day and time for all of the gospel writers to depend on the telling of this story, the first eyewitnesses were women. Now, we look at this and said the only reason that the gospel writers would begin that way is because it really happened. They were really there. As a matter of fact, in Paul's writings, in his epistles, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul says when he's recounting the resurrection, he said, then he, was, he, showed, he showed himself to over 500 who are still alive. Paul puts out a public document to those living in Corinth 
that if you want to check the testimony of these things, there are 500 people that will, that will verify what it is that I'm telling you. So he tells a public document that there are people that you can go and check the veracity of what I'm telling you and prove them for yourself. Is there a skeptic in your life, in your family, that is looking for evidence? Sometimes the evidence that we're looking for is right in front of us. The second thing, the evidence that we need to consider is, is the powerful impact these events had on his disciples. Understand these were deeply rooted Jews, deeply monotheistic. They never believed that there could, they would ever worship anybody that was ever once a human being. And yet, immediately after these events, we find Thomas saying, my Lord and my God. They've made the transition from Jesus is not just a great prophet, not just a great king, but he is God incarnate. Over the last centuries, there have been many prophets, many uh, false messiahs that have risen up, but they all seem to have one thing in common. Once that messiah has died, oftentimes the, their followers have faded away. Shortly after, a century after Jesus' life, there was a prophet that raised, and he said he was the Messiah to restore Israel to their former glory. His name was Bar Kokhba. Bar Kokhba raised an army, and they took on the Romans. But you don't hear a lot about Bar Kokhba because once he died, his followers were scattered. What we find here is once Jesus was crucified, his followers became even stronger. Something has happened to electrify them, to raise their energies and their hopes to allow many of them to even be martyred under very incredible cruelty because they believed in something stronger than death. Something had transformed and electrified these disciples from a band that was hiding away in an upper room to people that were outspoken, people that went to their death proclaiming that he is risen and that he is risen indeed. So we find in this story there's incredible amount of evidence for a rational mind to explore and to study. There's many more um, evidence for you to look at. I, I encourage you to, to seek out that information. Be thoughtful. There's one thing that I would love for Mount Pleasant to be is a deeply thinking group of people, of disciples that are studying, that are looking for wisdom to grow, to know that their faith is deeply rooted in the scriptures and in the truth. We then encounter Mary Magdalene. Mary goes to the tomb. And Mary is a deeply emotional person. She follows Peter and John. And when she can't find where Jesus is, she begins to weep. Now, she's incredibly uh, emotional. She's been following Jesus. From Mark's gospel, we recognize that she was one of the women that had seven demons in her when Jesus healed her. She was not of a very high standing. We find out what it means to be a demoniac uh, in the Gennesaret, uh, living among the tombs. They were often homeless. They were emotionally or mentally challenged. They were the outcasts. And so this is the background of Mary Magdalene. And Mary had been following Jesus. And when she comes to the tomb and finds that he's not there, she begins to weep. But I think it's so incredible how Jesus in, encourages her to come to a new understanding because even now, Mary's understanding is too small. 
Her understanding of Jesus is she's looking for a dead Jesus. She's looking for a Jesus that was crucified. She's looking for a Jesus that walked and healed people. The last thing that she's really thinking about is a living, breathing, resurrected Jesus. Jesus comes to her in one of the most simplest of ways. And he asks her and he invites her to think deeply, Mary, who are you looking for? Why are you weeping? He invites her to come and think deeply about herself and about her life. He's gentle with Mary, experiencing more than what she ever imagined. She imagines him as, as a dead Jesus, but when he's standing right there. And I think it's fascinating the way Jesus introduces himself to her. As a matter of fact, if you think about this, this moment between Mary and Jesus, it is indicative of the entire gospel's experience. The entire Bible is summed up in this experience. Mary is standing right next to the risen Christ, but does not see him. She thinks that it's just, just another gardener, just another ordinary worker. I can't help but imagine or wonder how many of us just kind of pass by the risen Christ in our lives. Let me ask you, have you ever been to a worship service that you just kind of felt was ho-hum? You might have left kind of going, I just didn't get much out of that. But maybe somebody on the other aisle or across the room is in tears. Maybe they go to the altar to pray. Maybe they felt transformed by the same experience. You see, one person sees a gardener. The other one sees the risen Christ. Sometimes we don't understand that sometimes we're in God's presence, but we just don't see it. Mary's too emotional. Her idea of God is too small. Have you ever felt kind of cut off from God? You can't find him. He, you don't know where he is. Maybe God is right next door in a way that's trying to draw you into a bigger picture of who he is in your life. Have you ever been in a situation where you got up on a Sunday morning in order to go to church, but, you know, there was just too much going on. You had a schedule to keep. You had places to go. Maybe you just needed some more me time. You just didn't really experience the risen Christ the way Mary did. And so Mary is looking for a dead Jesus, a Jesus that she understands, a Jesus that fits into her categories. But I think it's interesting the way Jesus responds to her. Jesus invites her to experience her new. If, if Jesus had been a superhero, if he had been like a superman, he'd have come down with a cape and a big S and said, here I am, world. But he doesn't do that with Mary. He doesn't say, hey, Mary, I'm over here. He just simply says, Mary. Jesus doesn't say, hey, it's all about me. Instead, he says, Mary, it's really all about you. Mary, when you understand who I am, then you understand who you are. Jesus redefines Mary's very existence, who she is and who she can become. See, here's the other defining part of this, this story of grace. Faith in, in human terms is impossible. We can't create faith for ourselves. We can't say, now I believe. We don't understand faith until Jesus gives it to us, until he calls us by name. Maybe 
Our Easter experiences are so ho-hum and so boring because we've forgotten when Jesus called us by name. We've forgotten what it was like when he reached out and, and took us by the hand and helped us through. We've just become cold and indifferent. And, and when we come, all we see is the gardener, not the resurrected Christ among us. So Jesus calls out to her and he says, Mary. And Mary is transformed. Her life is redefined. You see, in Western culture, most of us define ourselves by we look inside and said, what is my purpose? What am I feeling like I'm supposed to do? Jesus redefines by saying, Mary, you will find yourself when you find it in me. I love that quote by St. Augustine. St. Augustine had studied God all of his life, and he said, and now, with God's help, I shall find myself. Jesus comes in order to give us new life, a new story, a new hope. He tells Mary, do not hold on to me, for my story is not yet told. I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. And when I ascend, I will come back in a way that I will never leave you. Mary. Mary is transformed. Grace has been given to her because Jesus has opened her eyes, opened her worldview, Jesus is not contained in the four walls of our sanctuary. He's not contained within our building. He is contained in our hearts and in our world. And he goes forth with bold proclamation and is inviting you to do the same. The challenge for all of us this Easter experience, as we watch and as we grow through Easter in our homes, is asking the question, do we still find a gardener among us? One that we can dismiss whenever we want to? Or do we find a risen Lord that is transforming our understanding of life itself? I pray that this Easter, as you sit with your family in your homes and you watch this on video, that you'll begin to understand that Jesus is calling you by name. He's inviting you into his story to understand the deeper points of what life can really be. And so I invite you to experience the risen Christ among us. Experience what he can do with you as he did with Mary, Peter, and John, and the disciples. I ascend to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Go and tell the others, and I will meet you there. My friends, I pray for you. I pray for the struggles that we're going through and the doubts and fears that overwhelm us at times. And I invite you to become part of our story. If you're visiting with us today, I just invite you to connect with us online. On the website, fill out a connection card and we'll get in touch with you and help you through this journey of Easter and beyond. Jesus is calling us to go to Galilee and to the Judean and to Samaria and to the rest of the world. Our hope is that you will journey with us because there's far more to life than where we are now. May God's presence and blessings be with you. Wherever you are, I hope that you will join in our final song together. This is the resurrection. Amen. Amen.